What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. I'm feeling good today. I'm feeling great. I just got back from an amazing Europe tour. It's insane. Huge rooms, all sold out. I felt so loved, and I'm so grateful for everybody that came out. It was such a blast, and I had such a great response from the people that came. Band was on fire. I'm feeling good. I've got a bunch of new YouTube videos that are out that are really fun. I put out one of my live shows, like kind of portion of my live show at First Avenue on YouTube. And I'm in the middle of my season of Corey and the Wong Notes, which is my variety show on YouTube. Check it out. A lot of fun things. I have some new singles out and a new album dropping Friday called Power Station. It's a banger. Check it out. Today on the show, we have a great friend of mine who's an insane guitar player, Ariel Posen. I first met Ariel at NAMM a few years back or something. I was just hanging out, walking around, and I happened upon the Sir Guitars Amps and Pedals booth, and one of the cats there was like, hey, do you know Ariel Posen? I was like, no, I don't. He's like, he's dope. You guys got to jam together. I'm like, all right. He's dope. Yeah, let's let's jam. I'm down. So get a couple guitars, sit down, start grooving. Dang! I can still feel that E7 groove in my head right now. Ariel is an absolute incredible musician. We've become great friends since then. We've written some tunes together. We have hung out, sat in with each other several times. Incredible guitar player. And, and this is the other thing. He's also an amazing singer and songwriter. I love this cat. I love everything Ariel does. If you're not familiar with Ariel, go listen to his music on Spotify. My favorite tunes, How Long and Fade. Great tunes. Great tunes. Look, I'm not going to hold up anymore. Sometimes I do long intros and it gets a little too long. I'm not going to get in the way of this interview. Here we go. Ariel posing. Hey, you guys know about DistroKid yet? If you are an artist, musician, somebody who's trying to get your music on Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things, DistroKid is a digital distributor that can get your music on all of those platforms. It's the easiest, fastest way to do so, with accounts even just starting at $19.99 a year per artist. So for me, I have several albums out. I just pay one amount for the year. For all the Corey Wong albums, I just pay one amount, and DistroKid takes 0% royalty. 100% of the royalties come straight to me. Or you use their Teams feature where you can dedicate a certain percentage to one member of your band, a certain percentage to the other, or one of your collaborators. I do this sort of thing. It works amazing. DistroKid is who I use for my albums, and it has worked great for me. The stuff gets up there fast. They have a smart ISRC thing. I don't have to worry about coming up with my own codes, registering a lot of the stuff. They just have that. And they also have these really cool design tools. If you are not very design savvy, they'll help you come up with assets for social media and other things to help promote your album. And if you want to use them, you can use my VIP code. Just go distrokid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong and you get 30% off. How about that? Check them out. Distrokid. All right, let's hit this episode. Dude, Ariel, thanks for hanging, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure, dude. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you. I waited to reply to your text message about 
the broadcast pedal because I just wanted to talk directly. Ah. We're just diving right into gear. Dang it, I hate this. I well, I don't hate it. I love it. <laughs> Guitar players, this is probably like the episode that people are like, come on, just get on to some gear right away. I normally save gear to the end, but yeah. here we are. I'm going to start with gear. How about that? Hit me with it. This pedal is dope. The broadcast AP. I like you have a tone. Your tone is insane. We're going to get to all that, but I plugged my strat through this pedal through my regular rig. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, it kind of gets me in some of that like cool guy left of center <laughs> tone immediately. <laughs> <laughs> cool guy left of center. I was actually curious. Like I've I've sent this um well, I mean the pedal's been out for a while now and I still like to make sure it gets in the hands of certain friends and like people I, uh, you know, either really respect or, you know, our friends like yourself who I'm like, you know what? I, it's like, it's all good. If you hate it, no problem. If you love it, great. I just want you to have one and whatever. It's all good. Like no pressure. So for you specifically, I know, I mean, you have such a specific thing. I was like, I wonder if he'll, he'll dig it because it's based at like the pedal itself is based off of those old Neve consoles. Like, like yeah. the Beatles in the 60s, like Helter Skelter, like plugging straight in. And um, is that's it, what it's based. I was going to ask, what is yeah, it based off of? That is what it's based off of. Kind of just like a preamp, you know, it's not so much an overdrive or a boost, although like it is, but it's not. I don't like to get technical. And honestly, I don't care enough to get technical. I'm the same it, way. It's a preamp, uh, but it's an overdrive. It's whatever you want yeah, it yeah. to be. Yeah. And it can even be a fuzz. Um, and it works. For, it's like, yeah. It's a big part of my sound. Uh, I'm glad you liked it. That's awesome. Yeah, I really dig it because it just adds a very distinct character to my tone. So like Mm. my middle of the road Corey Wong thing, it's not necessarily like, oh, it's going to enhance that specific down the middle thing. But what it does is I turn it on and all of a sudden it brings me a little bit into this different world or it can take me, it can take my tone and just kind of... We're going to take you down this road for a little bit. And it's really cool because it's rare when I find, well, normally with like an overdrive, it just feels like, oh, okay, we're in overdrive land now. Exactly. But this, I I don't know, like you're saying, it's kind of a preamp, kind of a fuzz, kind of an overdrive. It takes you, excuse me, it takes me to a different place in my tone. And it's really cool. I dig it. Yeah, your pedal brings me into this different territory. And I had the same mindset when I sent you my pedal. I was just like, hey, here's this overdrive, couple drives, EQ, uh, see what you think. But I just want you to have one as yeah. a friend. You know, it's like that's, that's yeah. the sort of thing that's kind of fun. I guess, you know, we are, it's an embarrassment of riches when you can have a pedal with your name on it and your, your input. And it's like, yeah, but I like, I really like it. I want my friends to have it, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, it's fun. But that's just it. I mean, that's the whole point of gear. I know we all get roped into somehow the gear side of things being a huge part of our identity, even as artists. But um, it's just like, hey, that's a beautiful painting you have up on your wall. Um, we don't talk about like what, when you were at Home Depot, like, did you go for the uh, the four six nails or like the one? Like, we're not talking about what hammer or, or like nails you're using. We're talking about like the painting itself, right? Yeah. Um, and that's fine that that's how it is, but that's the point, right? Like gear, or like in this case, you know, you sending me your pedal, which sounds great, by the way. Congrats. 
and me sending you yours, it's it's the whole point is like, hey, you know what, this maybe or maybe doesn't, <laughs> but this is taking me somewhere else that I, I wouldn't usually go into. It's not like I, you have what works. If it ain't broke, you don't need to fix it. Yeah. Sure, sure. Sometimes you'll find something that like, hey, this does my thing. And maybe it's the dangerous word. Is it better? It's probably just different. But like at the time, your ears and like your mental approach uh, evolves. So yeah, it's just about taking you to a different place. And if it does that, then I think it's doing its job. So that makes me happy. I'm glad to hear. Yeah. And at this point, I am kind of in the place where I've played so much gear and I've mm. AB'd so much gear. I'm kind of done doing that. I'm more to the point of like, when I'm playing this gear, does it inspire me? Yeah. Great. If that's yeah. like what, what matters to me right now is it, do I plug into this amp and feel inspired? If so, great. I don't need to test it against anything else because I feel inspired by this and I love the way I sound through it. So I'm going to use it or whatever, you know? Yeah. I'm the biggest set it and forget it guy. Like I, once I find what I need, for lack of a better term, I, I'm not really searching yeah. to, to find something else. Sure. I like, it's different when you're recording or something like that. It's nice to have different options and different sounds and flavors for certain parts and, and sounds. But, you know, when we're speaking like me doing me, you doing you, whatever, it's like set it and forget it. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to have to think about continually changing this. So, yeah. But that being said, both of us play through really nice gear. So we're kind of not, I mean, not everybody has, like, you use a dope two rock amp and cab. You have an insane guitar with insane pickups, with insane, even cabling. I've seen your cables. I've seen your pedal board. <laughs> but that being said, yes, you have very nice materials, but what yes. you choose to paint with those materials is what makes your thing so compelling. And that, I guess, is the message that we both have. But it's also kind of nice to have really dope gear, too, because that way there's just it's like there's nothing in the way. And also, there's kind of no excuse. It's like, ah, man, I really wish I had a different guitar. To, then I would play better. It's like, for me, this is the guitar that I designed with Fender. How, how am I going to blame the guitar? This is what exactly what I wanted, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I just think of myself as a kid or like a teenager. When I started, you know, having money in my bank account, um, when I was like, I don't know, 19, 20, I, I bought like my first kind of nice guitar and then I... I fell into this thing of like, oh, well, all my friends are buying a telly now. I guess I'd need a telly. I'd, I'd sell that guitar, lose money on it, but use the rest to buy a telly. Then I'm like, maybe I'm not feeling the telly. I'm going to get a Les Paul, do this, do this. And like lost so much money doing that and went through every kind of instrument and variation um, and not really knowing what I needed, not really having my own sound or voice yet, of course. Uh, and I was just being nuts and being young. And I feel fortunate now that like, I know, well, I have a voice, I have a sound, I know what I need, I know what I like. And again, it's different when you're like a, doing sessions and stuff. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm grateful. I don't take any, any of it for granted, but I don't like to get it, or I don't like to make it in the way, or I don't like sure. to make it the reason for any of the music that's coming out or anything like that. Um, at the end of the day, I'll buy a, I'll play a Walmart or a Best Buy guitar. Have you ever seen a Best Buy guitar? 
Yeah, for a while, there was a Best Buy across the street from the Guitar Center by my house. And mm. when Best Buy was really given the hard sell on their musical instrument thing. Yeah. and Well, actually, they had, they had some nice guitars there for a while. But then, you know, then Target started carrying some guitars. It's like, all right, mm. like, I'm down. But then, the, actually, the thing that was a bummer through some of that is it was very commercialized and not actually... Like, let's put guitars, really playable, good-sounding guitars in the hands of kids. It was just like, let's sell guitars. Totally. <laughs> I remember, I remember go, uh, yeah, whenever going through a Best Buy or something like that, you're there to buy either, like, let's be honest, you're in there to buy a TV or, you know, maybe a computer if they're going to give you a better deal in the Apple store at a certain time, which is very rare. Or maybe you're going to, I don't know, like, there's the anomaly type person that's there to buy, like, music or a video <laughs> or uh, video games or something. And then you go and see the guitars. You're like, well, I feel like they, this guitar doesn't actually make any sound. They've just gone to R&D and made instruments that just look like instruments for the sake of them being able to sell it. And it's more of something you just keep in your room. <laughs> and it actually has uh, ESPN on it. If you, if you link it to your Bluetooth, that's really what it is. <laughs> so I have a question about part of your tone because I feel like your pickups have a lot to do with that as well, because you have you use a unique pickup. Yeah, well, I again from from years and years now, I've realized that I like dynamics are the most important thing, like absolutely most important thing. If I'm playing a guitar uh, in a backline situation, or let's say you know I'm playing someone else's guitar and the pickups are really hot. Um, and it starts to compress the sound before I hit it with anything, that natural compression changes the way I play. Mm. And it makes me not have any control of my dynamics. Sure. Because I'm, I'm always rolling my, like yeah. I live, I live at like six or seven most of the time on my volume. And then certain times, if I'm going full solo times, that'll be 10. But most of a show, I'm living around, I get like, I always have a, like a, a drive on and then I'm living ah. at like six or seven. Yeah. Okay. But the low, but low output pickups, just give me so much more headroom for that. Yeah. Um, and you know, Strat was my first real guitar. Strat's where I feel home on, and um, I mean, you can't get more low output than a Strat. Yeah. <clears throat> and and the ones in the guitar you're talking about are, they're mini humbuckers, but they're very. I don't know what like the actual, you know, if it's five point. I don't know, <laughs> but it's low output and. Uh, you know, if you're running it through, let's say, a Princeton or something really low wattage, you're still going to have a fair bit of headroom before it starts breaking up. Mm -hmm. And for me, and like sometimes if I'm playing in a lower tuning, if I'm like, you know, it can get a little muddy and stuff. It, it maintains tightness. It maintains everything that you would expect from like a standard tuned guitar in that kind of formation. Like it really doesn't feel like it's different, even though it is, I guess, kind of different. It just makes it feel like it's an ordinary guitar set up ordinarily. Yeah. So there's a lot of people wondering, why do you use certain amps at certain times? I get this question. I'm sure you get it. You brought up the Princeton. I know you use a pretty big two rock rig sometimes. For you, when do you decide when to use something small like a Princeton? When do you decide to use the two rock? Talk me through yeah. your amp choices and why. Yeah. So if I'm playing live, if I'm with my band and I'm doing like me, 
I need, again, I want that headroom. I want to feel air moving. And it's not that I even need to be loud. It's just the things I've been telling you now. I want to like control dynamics. I don't want to compress. Like I think of compression as an effect. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, it's just not a sound I use. So I want to make sure that my sound is like super open, but punchy, like really mid forward and clean if I want it to be and absolutely ferocious if I want it to be. Yeah. And um, the yeah, like the 100, 100 watt amp, you know, I've played twins before and I find those kind of amps unusable for a guy that like <laughs> you, you find a for, twin unusable. That's amazing. Yeah. Go on. Go on. So, like, yeah, exactly. And this is this is coming from a guy who like a, a two rock is basically like a fender slash a dumble. Yeah, kind yeah. Of sound. That's what it's going for. So like I grew up with all playing fender amps. I yeah. still have all, you know, I have an old deluxe reverb, an old concert. I've gone through all the reissues. I've had the DeVilles. I've had the hot rods. I've had them all. And yeah. they're great. And that's what I have for backline at any festival if I can't actually get a two rock. Um, but a, something about a twin, and I, I guess this is where maybe maybe for yourself, like compression really helps with this. Yeah. But whenever I've played through a twin, I find it like very bitey and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Totally. And it's probably just a big part of it is the way I play. And it's the same reason why I, like I plug into a Vox, which I think is one of the greatest sounds ever. And like I'm, I'm the biggest Beatles fan and I'm, I, 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 lo I just love the sound of those amps. Every time I plug into one, it just sounds like shit. It's just like it doesn't agree with the way my hands sure. work on an instrument. And the twin kind of falls into that. So the, the, the two rock is like a, I mean, I really mean no disrespect to the twin, but it's like a usable twin. That kind of volume <laughs> range for me. For me. <laughs> I mean no disrespect, but you're worthless to me. Ah, yeah. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> and it's lighter, believe it or not, than a twin. I've, I I owned one for a while too, and that thing was no. I mean, if if you're doing some Cali aesthetics and you miss a day and you got a gig, I mean that that's pretty good. But that was pretty heavy amp. Yeah. Um, so like for a gig, that helps me stay. It's not again. It's not about being loud. It's just about having ultimate control of my dynamics, my sound, um, all the elements. Whether I'm sitting in with a band like that. Or let's say I'm doing my thing and we have a piano player, we have another guitar player, or any other elements, I know that I can, the sound can hold its own yeah. and live in its own sonic space where I'm not having to like struggle to, to stay within the mix with everybody. Now, if I'm playing solo, if I'm playing <laughs> duo with someone, I, I really aren't, haven't been doing gigs like this anymore. Um, but you know what it's like being a sideman and you end up on a million different scenarios where oh i'm playing with a singer songwriter back in the mop or i'm playing in a trio i'm playing in this or that that's when i think smaller amps are, are fantastic this is, and i'm talking just live specifically like i love like a princeton i have a i have an old gibson uh explore like gibson ga18 this amp behind me is great this is made by my friend michael moody uh it's called magic amps and he he actually built this for me it's a um it's a 210 princeton basically Nice. So it's yeah, it's a Princeton with again just a bit more headroom, but the character of a, of that smaller sound. Yeah, it's really good. And then for recording, anything goes really. Like, yeah, I will, totally. When I'm recording my records, ninety percent of the time I am using like my amp. Um, but we'll set up like five or six. Yeah, let's put a Marshall up. Let's put a this up. What the hell is that? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, put it up. Let's just see. Because you just never know when there might be a part or a song 
that could use something different and unorthodox. And that's like going back to the beginning we were talking about when it can inspire an idea or a sound that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm open to it all, but nine, nine out of 10 times, I'll stick to what I know. It's not even what I like, it's just what I can control and what I feel comfortable with. Yeah. For my sound. I like that. Well, and, and I start with gear with you because your tone is so freaking good. Every time I've listened to your records, I remember when your, your last album came out, you sent it to me ahead of time, and I just kept thinking, well, first off, I thought you were just guitar guy. And then you send me your album. So I was expecting, you know, like blow by blow or something. I was expecting some sort of <laughs> Jeff Beck style record. You send me your album. I'm like, freaking A, this guy writes songs that are amazing. Freaking A, this dude's a dope singer. Oh my <laughs> gosh, the guitar tone is so insane. And there's very few people that I would just start a conversation. Hey, let's talk gear. Because I'm like not always that, I'm not normally that person. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. totally. But I, I just, I, I'm so interested because your tone is so incredible. So which two rock do you use? Which one is it? Like, because uh, you use a, a, a cab head combo, right? Yeah, uh, I, I, like, I like the traditional clean. That's the main one Okay. Uh, I use. And that, I think, if I'm correct, is slight is somewhat based off of their original, maybe the Mare model. It's just like a clean platform. Okay. It's just yeah. straight up clean, but not, it's not shrill. It's like full and round and big. Uh, and it's simple. I, I went to the, the Two Rock shop like five years ago. Uh, just to hang out and kind of meet them in person for the first time. And they have another amp called the Classic Reverb that I thought I was the one. And they're like, hey, we've actually been working on this new amp called the Traditional Clean. We don't even have a, like, we just have a chassis. We don't even have the fancy head yet. Yeah. You should try both. And I, you know, I plugged into the the Classic Reverb and it took me a while. There's a lot of switches and stuff. It was, it was really great, but I eventually found it. Played it for a while and then... Um, I plugged into the traditional clean, you know, super simple. Yeah. Volume, master, uh, bass, treble, mids. It's like the reverb. That was it. Plugged in and immediately it was like, oh, that's it. That's the sound. Like mm. that. This is the amp. And they're like, you like it, eh? And it's like, that's the one. I like that. Yeah. I just had a, rem I just had a memory. Um, sp I know I, I'm sounding like I'm shitting on the twin reverb, but... <laughs> I remember the last. What other amps time? do you hate? No, go on. No, no, I love, I love the twin just for this. I remember, I think it was the last time I probably played one, was when I sat in with you, at the Sugar Club in Dublin. In Dublin, we did bunk beds, and we went bunk. <laughs> <laughs> and the amp I had with me died after the first song, and we, uh, yeah, we went bunk bed style. Dude, we went was bunk beds. I was in channel two, you were in channel one, <laughs> and it held its own. I mean, that's that ain't proof in the pudding right there. Now, like, see, I'm trying to climb my way back into the. Uh, no, no, no. I, I'm like Switzerland with this with the twin amp. No, right it's now. fine. Like, I think I think you said it great. Is that sometimes your playing agrees with certain amps, and sometimes mm -hmm. it doesn't. Yeah. Which, uh, for me, a Princeton, I can't get my thing to happen with a Princeton, because I need way more clean headroom. And yeah. then, what? Because my my rhythm style, when I start chucking, it's just like it just kind of wants the whole thing wants to go, and totally. Even when I play it quiet, it's like ah, the speaker doesn't, the speaker isn't moving quite enough. But as soon as the speaker starts moving enough, 
the amp starts to go. So it's like, yeah, with my style, the Princeton doesn't agree with me. But like when I listen to Mason Stoops play through a Princeton, or when I listen to Theo Katzman play through Princeton, it's like, oh, yeah. That's pretty dialed. Yeah, exactly. it's like, I need a Princeton, I don't I? Yeah. It's like, I can't do my thing on a Princeton, but I could do a lot of other stuff. So yeah, it's, it's I don't think you're unnecessarily throwing away the twin but i do remember that being a very fun time because then we had to also like do the punch brothers thing where we self-mix like you know they're always going up to one microphone and oh dude you know so like you were soloing i dial back my volume (laughs) because we're going through the same amp and then i start soloing you dial back your volume that was fun and what and what's amazing is you remember like jamming with your friends when you're like 15 or 16 and you're at like the band room at school and like the only amp they have has like it's one channel, but there's two inputs and you're both plugged in. And if you turn down, it turns them down too. And, it, <laughs> and, <if they> turn, <laughs> that, and that wasn't happening. Yeah. It was all, I mean, that was, that was pretty special. I love the self mix. That was, that was special. You know what I'll say though? Um, I, I have used like compression a lot. Like when I record, obviously everything gets compressed. Yeah. yeah. Know? And um, sometimes we'll commit, I'll commit to it while we're tracking um, and my first record on how long, like fade. And there's a couple of songs where I specifically used a pedal, like just to squash it a bit. Yeah. And I found that, um, compression for me worked the best. Um, when I'd be in a situation where, you know, sound guy was like, you know what, can you turn down a bit? And it's like, oh, okay. And I kicked on the compression and it made, it wasn't even about how things sounded. It was about how it felt and it made it feel like at a very low volume that it just had character and, and mm. it was lively. Yeah. And then sometimes on the other end, if I'm like, I feel like I might be insultingly loud right now, maybe <laughs> or like maybe I'm plugged into a twin and it's like really biting right now. I kick it on and it, it just softens the blow a bit. Yeah. And those were times when I found that it was great. Sure. But I just don't. Again, now I'm trying to jump on the compression. uh uh, fence but nothing is bad nothing is good it's it's about what you need yeah but also the you. way that you play compression is going to interact with your playing style so much different than mine it's such a part of my thing where i want that punchy really right yeah. in your face thing which by the way you do that thing also very well speaking of looking back and memories the first time we're gonna we're jumping all over here but it's fine the first time that we met was at the Sure booth, or right. no, not Sure, the Sir booth, <laughs> not Sure microphones, <laughs> Sir, the guitar amp. I mean, they should thing. have had us as well if they knew it was good for them, but it was Sir, yeah. Yeah, just playing our, our strats direct, or like just <laughs> SM57 in front of our strings. Unplugged. <laughs> at, the, at the Sure booth. <laughs> no, but at the Sir booth at NAM, that was, you know, I, I was just kind of hanging out, walking around and... Uh, Travis, who was working for them at the time, was like, hey, Corey, have you ever played our guitars or our amps? I was like, no, I'll try it. Let me see how your amps sound. And then like, oh, meet Ariel. I was like, oh, hey, dude. And then we just started jamming. It was like, oh my gosh, this dude's dope. And that you, because we got into that kind of rhythm thing, two two cats playing rhythm and we were kind of weaving rhythm parts back and forth. It wasn't even like, oh, all comp and you solo, you comp back and forth. It was just kind of, we got we're just into playing. this. Yeah. I remember feeling, yeah, I remember it feeling, and that was awesome because I think I was just literally walking 
passing by at the time. I don't think I don't know, even know if I was stopped at the booth or anything like that. I, I remember playing, and it was there was times where it was like, "Fuck, oh, is that me or is that him doing?" Yeah, like I couldn't. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love that. Yeah, it was locked. It was great. Yeah, that was insane. I remember just being so surprised. Like, there's a, a handful of guitar, a, very few guitar players that I felt that kind of lock with. But I remember the second that we met, I think it was like, oh, hey, hey, I'm Corey. Hey, I'm Ariel. <laughs> Boom! And then yeah. it was just like, oh my gosh. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that was dope. I do remember that. That feels like forever already. I know. Time is time is time is weird now and, and it feels like was that a decade ago or was that last year? No, it was like that's you know, I know it wasn't either of those, but that's how it all feels. But it was Nam twenty nineteen, which does feel like a century ago. I think it was maybe it was two thousand eighteen, because I think I skipped I can't remember. I wanna say it was eighteen, actually. Okay. See, yeah, Let, yeah, yeah. Let's call it seventeen. No, it was eighteen. Yeah, yeah let's call it Nam <laughs> Nam ninety eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Grade uh, seven edition. Yeah. Whatever grade would have been. Okay. We were talking about compression and how the compression is such a part of my thing yeah. and the punchy in your face. I need it to be. But your, your thing is so much of a singing, really dynamic. Like you're somebody who uses your volume at five and six most of the gig. And I watch videos of you playing. I've been at your shows where. You're, you're swelling with your pinky the whole time and you have such a singing quality that compression is going to react way different with your playing style. Yeah. As far as your lead stuff. Totally. Well, like, let me ask you. I mean, I know, I know the answer already, but you're playing a song at your show and you're going to kick on, like you're going to kick on a solo tone. I'm, I'm assuming you're clean with comp and then you kick on the overdrive. Am I right? Yeah. Okay, so... The difference for me is that my bass tone, like my my template is the amp is clean and I have one overdrive on always. Mm. And it's not even necessarily the broadcast. Sometimes I use the broadcast as a boost. Sure. But I'm not really a boost guy. It's almost like a backup or a different flavor. I always am yeah. changing. So there's about five or six overdrive pedals that I really like, like that really work in my sound and it's a mix of either like the blues breaker sound not as much the tube screamer but like that blues breaker those are those kind of pedals i really like for as an overdrive and they're very mid forward they're not too saturated depending how you set them and full volume it's like this is a great solo tone like this is rocking um but at five or six my issue with like going clean and no pedal is that it sounds great and feels great clean when you're playing by yourself um, or if you're playing in a duo situation. But I've always found when I play in a band and I'm just on the clean sound of an amp with nothing else, it just gets drowned out and it doesn't it doesn't go into it. Like it stays on stage. It stays into it. It's like it stays into this. I see. I can't even explain it. That's how. Sure. But basically, it doesn't travel the way I want it to. Yeah. And putting an overdrive on and like rolling my volume down gives me that clean sound, but with like the hair, mm. the hair of an overdrive where it's like on the edge of like, is this overdrive? Is this clean? It's like yeah. somewhere right in the middle. And to be honest, the broadcast, the ideal setting for it is basically like having your volume higher and the gain a bit lower and it gives you that sound. Yeah. 
kind of like a Klon sound. And I'm, I'm not even a gigantic Klon guy. I love that sound. But um, I guess the preamp broadcasty thing is similar in some ways to the Klon yeah. sound. It gives me that. And it and it it just travels and it just has so much more muscle to it. Muscle is the word, really. Yeah. And that's in a band setting specifically. When I'm recording, everything goes out the window. Like, totally. I don't need to. I don't need to have the pedal on. It, everything changes, but that's it. <laughs> I notice the way that you play slide is different. So there's a handful of cats right now that are really known for the slide thing, and I, in my as far as my taste goes, well, and, and I'm going to go not at all in the pedal steel or in the, I'm going to say totally like more in the rock pop vein. You got somebody like Derek Trucks, you've got Blake Mills, and you've got Ariel Posen. And one of the things that you bring to the table that is very unique to me is, or excuse me, that sounds very unique to me, is the way that you can go like if I wasn't watching, it would sound like you're just playing quote unquote regular guitar without a slide. Like the way that you navigate the fretboard and the way that you navigate the slide with your, you use it on your pinky, right? Yeah. Okay. So your pinky is off and I'm listening and it's just like, oh, this is a guitar player playing a solo. Wait, hold on. Where'd that slide come from? You know, like a lot of people, it's, it's kind of one or the other. But you have an interesting way of being able to kind of do both at the same time and really be able to go back and forth really seamlessly. Is that something that you intentionally did? Or is that just kind of, well, this is how I, I don't just fell into this? Or what was, what was that process? Right. Well, first of all, thank you. I, uh, that's, that's some high regard there. Um, I, I grew up playing slide because I listened to like the Beatles and George Harrison and, uh, and and that kind of stuff and even 90s rock like i remember some songs i'd be listening to and i'd be like there's some slide there but it never really like spoke to me as a this is your thing this is your calling i was just um, trying to think through any 90s rock songs with a slide and the only two things that came to my mind are rpm by sugar ray very mm. this this was maybe the i think maybe the first single before fly off of their first oh. commercial album and then natalie and brulia torn love that song there I, I swear there was like some uh i remember like more human is it more human than human rob that, zombie rob or, zombie oh, that's uh was yeah. that slide yeah i just remember hearing like little elements maybe no, it was white, white zombie. zombie white, white zombie. zombie yeah yeah it's, that's right it's pre yeah yeah and and like could have sworn Soundgarden would sometimes mess with that stuff. Totally. I, I'm totally blanking, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, yeah but but in, also, in your head, like, yeah, I, I yeah. hear things where I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like 90s rock. I can't pin it, but yeah. There's okay. also a great, great Canadian band called Big Wreck, and Ian Thornley. If you're not hip to him, he's a he's like I'm sure you'd hate to hear this, but a lot of people kind of compare him to Chris Cornell because his voice is very similar. Sure. But he really has his own thing, and and they had some huge hits, at least in Canada in the 90s. Um, and they've had a resurgence um, of late. Uh, he is an unbelievable guitar player. And that was like full on rock. And he would be playing a lot of slide. Um, but I would start like once I started getting gigs as a hired gun and, and a session musician, whatever, I I just found myself in situations where I had to play slide a lot. You know, I was doing a lot of country gigs or a lot of rootsy gigs. And 
it's not like it just happened. I, I definitely practiced and spent a lot of time with it and took a liking to it. And you know, people be like, hey, that that was awesome on this live. Why don't you do that on the other? Like, why don't you keep doing that yeah. on that song? And then, like, oh, okay, okay. And then there'd be the odd song. I'd be learn. I remember there was a band I played for, and I had to learn a part where it was like. It was a line or something like that. And like you, there was like a harmonic out of nowhere and then a slap like, whoa. Yeah. So I kind of figured out like, I don't know. It's not like I figured out tricks, but I started to learn like, okay. So there's like these little cool things that you can do with the slide that are different than playing. And then I really got into this other Canadian guy named Kevin Bright. And are you hip to him? I'm not. But I appreciate oh this is this is such a Canadian thing to do where you bring <laughs> up other Canadians and I'm here for it. Keep going. Well, Kevin Bright is a he's like a session man's session dude. And he played on those first few Nora Jones records. OK, yeah. Um, with, with Adam. And he's played. He's recorded for like everybody. Katie Lang, Cassandra Wilson, a bunch of other people. And, and he has his own projects. And he has this band called Sisters Euclid. And they were just a four piece uh, with keys fusion instrumental music uh and they'd play a weekly gig in toronto which i don't know why i even saying it because i didn't live there but i did go see them a couple times and he would just became my favorite guitar player and, the, and where i'm getting at with this is that you know i saw derek trucks for the first time like in hmm, maybe 2006 or something like that and everyone in the room was just like everyone's it's like the normal reaction when you see derek yeah if, if you've ever met him, if for anyone that's listening, it's like if you've met him, like it's like how to sound. I mean, he's such a he's a really nice guy, but like, yeah, there is some serious soul when he's playing that if you just met him, you'd be like, he just seems like a nice, ordinary guy. And then when yeah, he's yeah. like, what the? So everyone in the room and me included, we were, I was like, I've never heard anything like this. That's unbelievable. And then that's, I think that's as good as it gets. When I heard it, I was like, that's for sure as good as it gets. Yeah. Um, but I never had a feeling of like, oh, I want to sound like that. I want to do that. I want to like be that soulful Aretha blues thing on guitar. I was kind of more inspired by like someone like Kevin, who was, it was very melodic, melody based and, and part wise. And he would like blend chords with the slide a little bit. And he would like play a low E and drone, drone that low E and like play on the high string and then play around and then do other stuff like this. And it sounded very just fresh and different to me and it really spoke to me and that inspired me to kind of rather than thinking of slide as like this novelty blues thing or country thing when you put it on you just do go to the 12th fret and do the, the b and the e string classic things that everyone does it was like no this is a tool to like take all the things i would normally play note wise and embellish them in a different way so like to, i guess to answer your question or to like answer respond to your statement i'm trying to i'm not trying to like play anything novelty i'm just trying to play what's in my head um the way i would even if i didn't have a slide it just helps bring out it, yeah it's like slang it's like you'd say you know if we're greeting each other it's like hey man what's up how's it going what's shaking what's new how's things you know like there's so yeah. many ways of saying the same thing something like that helps me just like that. They just say mm -hmm. the same things but differently and and just do something a little different. I yeah. guess. Yeah. I I had a similar reaction. The way that you're talking about your reaction to Derek is the first time that I heard Blake Mills play in person. He came and played on the Fearless, the first Fearless Flyers album. Mm. And he got in the room, just kind of 
plugged in his amp, plugged into the amp, and just played something that literally made the rest of the room absolutely silent. And I, I, I remember feeling it in my chest, feeling my heart just sink like, oh mm. my gosh, what? Like in the same way that people will talk about the time they heard Yo-Yo Ma do this sure. thing. It's like, that's what I felt when I heard Blake Mills play the first three notes when he plugged into his amp. It was just like, <gasps> it just sucked all yeah. the air out of me. It was just like, this, there's, there's something interesting about the slide and that way of playing guitar and that tone that really has something that feels like, and of course, not everybody sounds like this. Blake and Derek and the way that you play are very, very unique. But the way that the slide can just, the way that that instrument and the way that it can be played can just feel like it channels something so deep and so, uh, like it can channel something way deeper than fingers on a guitar can do. Totally. And I, I, I'm not like putting myself in this description here, but like- I did it for you. <laughs> slide, pl- slide being played correctly, like the way like Blake or Derek or like most of the other cats that are out there doing it these days is the same way I consider like a really good B3 player or a really good pedal steel player where it transcends being labeled as just like an instrument. It, it's, it's so much more than that. When it's played right, like anyone can sit at a sit at an organ, you know, step on a foot pedal and like play a <laughs> root inversion C major to a D minor, like a, a one, two minor five, two minor, what am I talking about? Two five one or something like that. But doing it with that right finesse and like this unspoken thing that just comes from doing it your whole life. Sure, putting in the 10,000 hours, listening to like the right music to inspire you that way and then just channeling your own pathway again i'm not putting myself in this but like that it's like that kind of thing with those certain instruments and guys like blake derek and and a bunch of others that it's just it's special when you hear it i haven't heard blake in person i haven't met him yet and every time i like his he is very interesting because he's the king of not uh like keeps you wanting more or less is more like everyone knows he's the baddest guitar player the Mm -hmm. baddest yeah and on every record, he just like barely gives you anything. And he, but when he does give you a little taste of something, it's like, I'm done. I'm dead. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's so much more special that way. And him being a songwriter first and a producer and just like song oriented and like, it's just that record, Hi Ho, all his records, the yeah. first two are just so special. They're all great. What am I talking about? Yeah, they're, they're insane. But I, I put so much time into uh, that Hi Ho record. I still do. It's just special. Yeah. So, I mean, to, yeah, I bet in the room. I, I, I can picture you guys. Did you go do it at Lerman's house? Yeah. Record. I can just picture like that small room being in there, him doing that. And every, I could just see everyone who was in there just turning their head because greatness, greatness does that. Yeah. At really the right does. time. And, it, and it's, it's a magical thing when you get to see that or hear that. Yeah. So I am a terrible slide player. I can I can hack my way through something or it's like, okay, if I really need to focus, I can't. And I will say, I think part of it is that I don't have any guitars set up for slide. I mean, you've played on my guitars. You know, I have really low action. Yeah. I like it almost buzzing, you know, or even yeah. sometimes I'm like, okay, with a little bit of buzz on the low E. Because I like, that's part of my sound. That's part of the spank, the punch, the way totally. that I attack. 
So it's really hard for me to play slide given the way that I set up my guitars. Like I just have not yet set up a guitar to do slide. But if you are talking to somebody like me or somebody who's listening who wants to get into slide, handful of quick tips on how to kind of get some stuff really happening, some basic things. All right, at least get this together. What are some things that you would say to somebody like me or somebody listening who's a, a novice slide player? Okay, so this stuff is pretty specific to me because like I've seen Derek play with tens. Yeah. And his action is really low too, and somehow he makes it work. Really? So from uh, yeah. I don't know how. I got I no excuse now. Dang it. Okay. <laughs> Go on. But for me, <laughs> I, I I'd like to think that everyone is, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, but like I'm pretty sure. I've been told that he plays tens on on that SG, but for me, what what I learned, like I my experience was, okay, I'm playing on a record and like he, it's like a super like John Prine meets Neil Young, like tune down to like maybe tune your E down to a C, and like and slide as I've been, and I remember doing that playing tens, same tens or elevens on my Strat or some other guitar, and it would just sound like shit because like you said, buzzing out. And I just thought maybe I'm just bad at this. Like maybe there's, it's me that's the problem. And there's a few things that I learned. First of all, you got to get a slide that fits your finger properly. And this is something that most people don't think about. You go to a guitar center, you go to Long McQuaid, for all my Canadian people that are listening. Yeah. And uh, you you grab the first slide. You say, what's that Dunlop uh, glass slide there? And you go, oh, check it out. And it's like three times the size of your ring finger, your pinky. And you go, I'll take it. And you go <laughs> home and it's like, it's like yeah. soupy around. And it's just, it's got to fit like a glove. It doesn't have to be cutting off circulation, but it should feel like you don't realize that it's there. Mm. Right? You just want it to be an extension of your finger. So it doesn't matter what finger you play. You know, some of my favorites... Basically, all my favorite slide players play on their, their ring finger. Bonnie Raitt, yeah. one of the greatest of all time. Middle finger. Jason Isbell, middle finger. Pinky always worked for me from the beginning. I don't know if it was because I like playing. I could play chords still. It just felt right on the pinky. So what finger you play with doesn't matter. Just make sure that you find a slide that fits. It might take some searching and some like back and forth. But when you find the right one, and I'm not saying you need to find my slide... <laughs> But it is good on a pinky. Um, but I've definitely told people many times it's probably not right for you. Just find one that fits. Yeah. Okay. So that once you once you do that, like you were saying, action's got to be just a little higher. And yeah. it's physics. You're you're taking an object, and you're, you're 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 putting extra weight on the strings than you would if your finger yeah. is pressing down on it. So you need to balance that out. So if you're playing tens, you know chances are the elevens are just gonna be a bit tighter and have a bit more weight against it to hold its own and and, and raise that action yeah. slightly. It doesn't have to be like I, I every guitar I have, if it's a it's a if it's a baritone or like an open D or standard tuning, they're all set up to a point where I can comfortably play slide and it doesn't fret out. And it's also at a level where I can play just normal guitar yeah. style without a pick and it feels right. Now, I do like a bit of fight. I do like slightly higher action. Um, and I don't have like specific measurements for anybody. I, I, it's just, a, it was a bunch of trial and error. Yeah, yeah. And eventually I just found what I liked. And when I take a few guitars to my tech, 
they just kind of know at this point what I like. And and still, even when they go, how's this? And I take it and I go, ah, oh, just, uh, just a little bit more. You know, it still takes after all these years. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. I've, I've been asked, I've asked like the measurement and they've given it to me and it never works because it changes on every, uh, every type of guitar. But those are the main things. Find a slide that fits, action, uh, string gauge, and just like, you know, focus to the details. Like it's not about cool licks. It's not about playing fast. It's about muting and making sure when you're playing a single note line, like on the B string, that you're not hearing sympathetic vibrating on the E string or the G string. You got to mute those. And yeah. then your vibrato has got to be dialed in. Your intonation has got to be dialed in. And intonation is so hard because we as guitar players tend to think of intonation we base it off of visual like we look and if you do that with slide you're never going to play in tune if you mm. play any instrument you gotta tr you gotta have good ears and you gotta like trust intonation from your ears not with your eyes of course that that doesn't even have to be said but like technically when you're playing slide and you want to play in tune you're basically on the next fret almost yeah and that's when you're in tune so it's very strange to get used to when you're not used to it yeah, it's it's the little details that yeah. I think make a great slide player. It's not cool licks or or anything like that. That was way longer than it should have been, but no, it's great. Those those first few, few things are the most important for sure. So you use elevens on your guitars? Yeah, when I'm in standard tuning, I use elevens. Some guitars I like twelves. Like for some reason, if I'm playing a telly, if the action is a bit little lower, I do like twelves. It just feels yeah. I don't know. I, again, I like a fight. Uh, I think I just play really hard and really tough. And I'm I'm just like very hard on an instrument, yeah. so to speak. So I, I like a bit of the fight with the action and the strings. And then I basically match the tension. So let's say I'm 11s for E and I want to go to D. Maybe I'll do 13s. Oh, okay. 14s. And then if I wanted to go to C, it's like 15s, 16s. And then if I want to go to B, like baritone, I'll do 16, 17s. And I do this all regular scale guitars. Yeah. Like if I did this on a baritone that was 29 and a half scale, it, would, it just wouldn't work. So you just, use a regular scale guitar, Yeah. put 16s on it, and tune it down a fifth? Yeah. Or down a fourth, yeah. Or a fourth, and, yeah, yeah. And I, I play baritone like, in A. I don't know. It's just kind of... Oh, well, that's even... So like if I did that, I and what string gauge do you use? Well, I have a baritone guitar. I don't... I actually don't even know what string gauge I use on it. But it's probably like a, like you just said, it's a like a longer scale baritone, like a standard yeah. baritone. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it, it, there's so much more tension. You, if you, it's yeah. more like bass, you know? Totally. And that's the big, I love a real baritone, but tuning down to like B standard, which is typical baritone tuning, mm -hmm. doing that in the standard scale length guitar still sounds, this sounds so general how I'm saying this, but it sounds like guitar still. Yeah. It doesn't sound like that spanky, tight, heavy bass kind of frequency where it would kind of take up that that sonic hemisphere. Yeah. Sonically speaking, it really still sits in guitar land where it's like mid forward, still bright. It doesn't get too muddy. That's interesting. And it's taken a long time. I feel, still feel like I'm tweaking with it. Like I, I, I like to use it a lot for my stuff sometimes, but on sessions... It definitely doesn't have a place most of the time. It, it's like a it becomes novelty for other people's music. Yeah. Using stuff like that. Like whenever you're doing a baritone track, it's like, well, you want it to be like the the kind of baritone that people would expect to hear. Yeah, sure. Um, 
But it's nice sometimes to like, let's say you're playing in D or even the key of B and you can play those as E major open E or like G shape voicings that it just sounds so much richer sometimes. Yeah. Obviously if you're an A, it's like even crazy. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's beautiful. What's your, that. what's your go? Like, cause I know just from reading some about Derek that he uses a lot of open E. I played Blake's guitar when we played together. He was in open C. And that was a standard scale guitar. Yeah. What's your kind of go-to, or do you just are you all over the place? Well, yes and no. I mean, I I I love the B standard. I do a lot of that, the baritone. And then here's the thing, dude. E, open E, open E flat, open D, open D flat, open C. It's all the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you're thinking intervallically, and if you're thinking more interval based, then memorizing specifically every single note on a fretboard like we've done in standard tuning um, it makes it a lot easier to transpose so like i have guitars in open e open d open c um, but when i go on tour you know i don't have the luxury of having a tech to like bring 10 guitars with me yeah i'll typically have two guitars maybe three and if i bring an open c guitar then songs that are in d i can just i can capo to Second fret. Yeah. And hey, now I'm in open D. Capo, <laughs> yeah. capo to the fourth fret. Now I'm in open E. Something yeah. like that. And there's certain keys that like, you know, if you're tuned in C, playing in G sounds really good. Yeah. Because your four chord then becomes the big C. Yeah, yeah totally. And stuff like that. So when I'm writing, if I'm playing in an open tuning, I, I keep that in mind because it just makes for interesting chord shapes. But yeah, I, I it's like I just... I transpose because I I think of it intervallically and I have spent time memorizing open tuning shapes yeah, and yeah. scales and all that stuff but it's it's more like standard tuning is all what I've learned my whole life so B standard is the same thing it's just like in my mind everything is down a fourth and I'm just used to it now yeah o- open tuning I started in open E for when I first got into open tuning and I would take an open E guitar to every gig. I was playing the coffee shop, okay, and then I'd play the three sets at this place, and then I'd play that, or I'd, I'd do like the singer-songwriter gig. I would just throw myself in the fire, and I would take everything I knew in standard tuning and just, there's no better way for me. Obviously, practicing is <laughs> at home is super important, but for some reason, uh, like applying in context is where yeah. things click for me. So on stage, it'd be like, ah, now I get it oops, that was bad, and I screwed it up, but now I know what that should have been because like, I had to think of my feet and do it. And sure, I probably shouldn't have done that on some gigs because, you know, if you're hired to... <laughs> and, you know, for the most part, these were gigs with, like, friends and stuff like that that yeah. weren't that important. But that really helped me just start to split my brain into two. So it's like, it's guitar regardless. And... At the center of it all is the same harmony and the same theory behind it. And you're playing the same notes. So like if I sit down at a piano, which is my first instrument, and I'm not even a good piano player, I think of it the same way that I would on guitar. It's like, well, sure. I know what should be played right now. Yeah. I know what voicing. I know that I want first inversion this, or I know I want that. It's just about knowing where those notes are. So exactly. it's just a bunch of time. But they're like two different colors. They're two different instruments within the instruments. I, I, I feel like I can kind of play a little differently. Open tuning is almost more like piano and standard tuning is more like very guitar to me. Sure. And yeah, I yeah. love that. I love the variation. So I usually have one of each on tour. Okay. I'll have an open tune and a standard. Yeah. 
The last thing I want to talk about is social media, because mm. I know there's a lot of people curious about how we, like, people like you and I, we in some ways rely on social media, but we also have a lot of other things going on. But social media is definitely a part of what we do as far as just awareness of, hey, here's cool things that I have going on. Here's my tour. Here's my album. But also just awareness of our thing, right? So, and just like our general presence. I'm curious, what is your approach to social media these days? Very broad oh. question, but interpret as you will. Basically, basically, like you described, I try to keep it all business. I try to keep it all, hey, I'm out here. <laughs> I'm, uh, we're out here doing the thing. I'm going to be at a show. I'm going to be putting up music or I have just put up music. Or here's some, hopefully, what you would consider fun guitar playing. Here's a clip. Or here's a, you know, it's just, it's, it's keeping narrative going. And it's excuses to get people to, it's essentially reminding people that we're existing and out here. Yes. And, and, and keeping uh, the momentum going. I remember, you know, when like Instagram and, and all that stuff was starting. And I was just a sideman or I was playing in bands. It would just be like. I'm out with friends and my one friend's being an idiot. So here's a picture of that. Uh, here's a sweet latte at my favorite place in New York. Here's uh, here's a stupid thing. Like I never cared about it because it was just like, well, I just play guitar for bands or artists and social media is dumb. And then I, I kind of had a moment actually when we lived in Ireland for a couple of years, which you know, and I had kind of said goodbye to a bunch of gigs and um, I was on hiatus with an, like a band I played in was on hiatus and I was just kind of like starting fresh for a while. And this is kind of when I started like, you know what, maybe I'm going to start a solo thing. And, and just for fun, I was like, you know what, I'm going to change social media to like nothing personal anymore. I'm just going to go guitar. Mm. I'm just going to go music. I'm going to go a little gear. I would be lying if I didn't say that like being involved in the gear industry side of things hasn't helped with all this. Oh, totally. I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge. I was doing a lot of demos and I was doing a lot of stuff with companies and like Andertons when I was on a pedal show and stuff like that when I was in the UK that was super helpful. And I've just like kept it going. And then I, when I, once I finally uh, had a record and I started advertising and started going on tour and started getting shows, I, I had a tiny little platform already that started growing and growing and growing, which was fantastic to a point where it's like, oh, I could never have done this without without it it's very important it's it's yeah like it's the only way really to to tell people what's going on to keep them in the loop hopefully engage with them and make them feel interested but not make it feel like uh, how do i say this like it's advertising or commercials all the time it's about just like this is a community Mm -hmm. this is music um let's celebrate music thank you for being what following this journey and like by you being here, I want to make sure I'm giving you good music, some content, all that stuff. But to, but to a point where it's very organic, genuine, not forced, uh, and just honest. That's the, that's the biggest thing of it all. It has to be like that. Yeah. And it it really does come across as that. And I think there's several different approaches, I guess three main approaches. And you live to me in the middle, which is kind of where I live as well. There's like the people who post 
a lot of personal stuff. And it's like constantly posting, constantly showing their personal life and everything they're doing every day. Fine. Then there's some people on the other side of the spectrum, like you're saying, that it just kind of feels like uh, anytime you come into the room, you're just trying to sell us something or yeah. you're just trying to advertise something. And then there's like kind of in the middle where I think you and I live, where it's here's some stuff. Here's just like me playing some stuff that I like. Here's yeah. me doing some stuff that I like to do. And then also every once in a while, yeah, here's this tour that I have because I want you to be made aware of it. Here's this album because I want you to be made aware of it. And then every once in a while, some little personal things. But I think, sure. you know, I don't think either one, any of those is necessarily wrong. I think it depends on who the person is, what their emotional capacity is, what their mental capacity is, as far as like how much pressure they put on themselves to do something. Like if, if something's going to be too much pressure for somebody to do, then it just becomes unhealthy to do it, you know? hundred percent. You know, you have to protect your mental health in that. And I, I, I have friends that have had to just like, all right, look, you need to rethink this because you're putting way too much stress on yourself. Your life doesn't look like it's enjoyable. Now it actually is like, feels like it's backfiring because yeah. it doesn't feel as honest, you know, like you're saying. So I, I'm yeah. glad to hear that that's your, and that's to me how I interpret your approach to it. So I'm glad yeah. to hear that that's... I mean, you're, you're, you're fantastic at it. And I, 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 there are a lot of similarities, I think, by the ways that we do it. I, I think of it like this. It's like, you know, all, all clips of cool playing, clips of a, a cool part of a show or like any or maybe something funny or something. This it's all like a, a sneak. It's almost like a sneak peek. It's like this is just a this is a taste yeah. of what of who I am and who I am as an artist and what I do, you know. Hopefully you see it as in, wow, I'd like to know more or see more or hear more. Maybe when he's in town, we'll go see that. Or maybe we'll check out, we'll look him up online outside of Instagram and check out his Spotify or check out, like it's, yeah, I try not to get, I guess we've already said this. I try, it's really shouldn't, it's, I don't intend for it to be commercially just honest E. <laughs> um, in fact, the last couple of weeks, like, you know, I'm in between music cycles or album cycles right now. And last year was was a busy one for me. Maybe not as busy as yours <laughs> as in terms of p putting up music. Ah. But I this I'm like I'm working on a new record and uh, I have some other things that I've been working on that are that there will be some music coming out this year. But I'm kind of like in a quiet. Sure. I'm in a quiet year. And the point was like to primarily just tour this year. But. I've been busy with a couple other projects. I've been producing a couple things for a couple different artists these last couple of months. And I've really been quiet the last month. Maybe the most quiet I've been in years. Yeah. And at first it felt weird. Just like if I had this voice at the back of my mind saying, you're slack and you're not doing a good job. Like you're, And then the other side of me was like, this is great. Mm -hmm. I think there's, I think this is a healthy thing. Well, of course, this is a healthy thing to do. Like my life isn't driven by social media. Yeah. It's just... It's just a platform that we use for our job, essentially. But it felt like, you know what? Sometimes you got to make people miss you a bit. Sure. And I think of it and I see people that I admire and follow and they kind of disappear a little bit for a few weeks here or there. And it's just like, when they come back, it's like, I'm even happier to see you or hear from you. Yeah. So I think it's, it's important for those that are trying to take... And I get asked this all the time. I'm sure you do too. How do, how do I 
how do I like step up my social media game? How do I do this or that? And it's just like, you know what? Don't be a social media person. Be a musician. Yeah. Or be an artist. And if you're if you stay true to what you're doing and if it's great, and even if it's maybe not great, but like you're 110% into it and you put everything you can into it and you care and it's honest and, and it's genuine, it's going to speak for itself at some point. And people are going to eventually uh, jump on the wagon with you. Do, do not think that social media is like the thing. Mm-hmm. It's just what the time we live in. It's just what we use. It's not the thing. It's what we use. Yeah, Absolutely. I love all of that. And I, I think, you know, as I'm just thinking out loud here and thinking through kind of responding to what you're saying, the other part of it is deciding what, what do you want from it? I think a lot of people don't really understand what they want from it. It's like, do you, do you just want followers? Are you trying to just, are you just looking for likes and clicks? Like, what's the end game? Are you trying yeah. to like what what are you trying to point people to what are you just trying to to get some self satisfaction fine whatever i think it's important that i think it's, it's important yeah it's important for somebody to know what it is they're after i think for cats like you and i well i'll just speak for myself for somebody like myself i am trying to number 1 be an ambassador for my own art and just like the things that i'm into i think it's good to be an ambassador for the guitar in our generation. I feel an honor to be an ambassador for the guitar, to be an ambassador for excellence in music for our generation and for where we're at in, in this current moment in time. And that is part of the reason why I do some of what I do, to have some impact in that realm. Okay, then also here, I, the other thing I wanna do, I want to convert social media into ticket sales and Spotify yeah. streams and things like that because this is what we do for a living. This is like, I'm not going to make exactly. Instagram doesn't or TikTok or any of these platforms don't pay us money to post. That would be great if they did. At least I'm not no getting kid. paid. I mean, companies uh, can pay you to, to get you to do stuff, whatever. But the platforms themselves don't pay you to post on their things. So we need to, as musicians kind of make people aware of our art, try to convert these followers, convert the people that are into our stuff into actual, I guess, for a lack of better terms, customers. I mean, fans, yes, but from the business side, you know, you want to try to convert people to, and it's like, it's not like you're, what, because I pulled up your album on Spotify, I'm a customer. Like <laughs> I didn't yeah. pay anything to you, but but yes, yeah. but it's kind of that that sort of thing. And then, you know, from there, then it's okay if those are two things that you're after, that's cool. But also, you could be after, hey, I maybe somebody already does have a large fan base. Maybe somebody already does have a lot of things going for them. I want people to know the real me. That can be another kind of target that you can aim for on the dartboard of, with social media. You know, the impact, the conversion to something that you're actually doing with your career, and then a look behind the veil. Yeah, Those all feel like really interesting and, and, and honest things to be able to do with social media, but to at least be able to have some targets within them rather than just like generic of such a wide cast net of what to do. 
hundred percent. I agree with everything you just said. One thing we haven't said though, that's really important. And like, yes, the last thing you just said, basically, you know, social media, it's just a thing. It's about transferring that to real life, mm -hmm. adding like basically real life value to what you have online. Yeah. Right? Now, the thing that we haven't talked about, and a lot of people maybe that are listening that have these questions about social media, the hardest part is people that, let's say, I know tens of hundreds, like hundreds of people who are artists that put out some of the finest and greatest music or other kind of art that I've ever heard or seen. Now, they may have, they have like 500 or 1,000 followers, like nobody knows of them. And those kind of people, they look at everybody else who's got, oh, they always get X amount of likes. Oh, they, they have X amount of followers. I must be doing something wrong because I don't have that kind of number. That must mean that my art is bad. That must be, and they base their, their talent and all the work they put in off of numbers and stuff like that. And it's really, it's really shitty because we've kind of turned into a, really a society to think that way. Oh, well, this person only had, oh, they have 50,000. Oh, well, well, maybe we'll call them for the thing. Oh, it's only, it's like a look, right? Yeah. And I think it's super important to, as hard as it is, because whether we admit it or not, everyone compares. And yes, everyone, like we, you want to stay in your own lane. You cannot compare to other people's trajectory because it's a different trajectory than your own. Regardless, you're never going to be, you cannot compare yourself to anybody because they're not you and they're, and vice versa. So the only person you can compare to is yourself. And as hard as it is not to let those kind of numbers and things get in the way, you have to. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's the dark unspoken, maybe it's a lot of people talk about it, but that's yeah. like the shitty side of it. Um, just persevering through that and not letting that, get, put an idea in your head that you're not, good enough or you're not worth yeah that's being on the that's same exactly it is you know it's one thing to say oh this person must be more talented because they have more followers or somebody might say oh this person is more talented than me because they have more followers the other thing is you know ha having the feeling of where you stack up as far as talent goes okay that's that's something that you should not necessarily always base things off of but the real one is is self-worth to not yeah. value your own self-worth as a human being because of your number of followers that's the thing to me that's really important don't value your self-worth based on how many posts or how many likes your post got or how many followers you have compared to other people it's like every person in the world has so much self-worth and has so much value and so many things that they have to bring to the table that are so far beyond what any numbers on any platform could give. And that, yeah. you know, it's it maybe sounds easier for us to say because we have some sort of following, but I don't know. I, I guess the only thing I can say is maybe I, maybe we are the ones who can say it because it's like, I don't know. I, I Yes, we have a lot of followers now, but it doesn't mean that I'm any more fulfilled in my art because of it. Totally. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, if you strip that back, if you're on stage playing a show, those numbers um, are is is really it's not even it's 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 not even real. Like if I mean if you think if you really cut it down and you have X amount of followers, there's a really good chance that twenty percent of those people are are actually going to see what you post, 
are yeah. going to maybe engage with it, just like the way algorithms even work. Um, it's just a very weird thing. And yes, uh, I, I'm not saying that a lot of hard work didn't go into like put a consistent effort to keep engagement going and keep people interested. And you know, like the way every platform works, like for some people, they can post a couple cute or funny photos and it's like that really works for them. For someone like myself, and you, it's like you post a video and sometimes like that, like those, those work a little better. Um, it's different for everybody. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Don't judge yourself worth based on that kind of stuff. You know who you are and you know yourself. And if you, you know that you're like the real deal, then continue on with that. And I, I truly believe like in time, patience will work out. Um, yeah. And if it's good, it's good. And it will be recognized at some point. And I, 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 all the time I have days where I'm like, ah, oh, man, like, yeah, <laughs> like we're all in the same boat at the end of yeah, it, you know? Absolutely. Like I am too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, it is so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. Really Our means pleasure. a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun to catch up. There you have it. Ariel Posen. I love this guy. I love this guy. Amazing player. Great friend. Love everything that he does. I'm inspired. I got to get my slide chops together. I got, I just, I got to do it. It's tough. It's one of those things. To me, it's, it's a totally different instrument than guitar, slide guitar. It's different. Just different. I'm going to practice. I got my, I got my slide right here next to me. I'm going to try it today. I'm going to sit down for an hour, see if I can, see if I can hash this thing out or at least get a little bit better. You know, every day, get a little bit better. Then in about a year or 20, I'll be dope at slide guitar. Or I just continue to hire people that are amazing at very specific things, like Ariel. If I ever want slide guitar, I'll just get Ariel. How about that? Hey, thanks for hanging with us. I'll see you in two weeks. We're going to be back. Thanks for hanging. Peace!